Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Scots Wehey podcast. And today I'm joined by the director of the Scottish Gallery, Guy Peplow. Hello, Guy. Hello. And uh, Guy's here to talk about the Joan Airdley Centenary Exhibition, which is going to be on at the gallery. And I guess the first thing is, why did you want to put on this exhibition? Well, um, Joan Airdley um, would have been 100 years old. Unfortunately, she died at such an early age, age 42. But clearly it was something that um, we wanted to commemorate because she was so important to us as a gallery in her lifetime and since. But also in the wider context, it was important that, um, that there was a dedicated exhibition in the year of, of her centenary to in sense record what a significant artist she was for the nation. So maybe you could explain why she was so important to the Scottish Gallery before we go on to look at her life more widely. Well, I mean, she was uh, born in 1921, obviously, and, and came, to, came to Scotland as a student uh, at the beginning of, of the war from, from, from the South. And she attended uh, the, the, the Glasgow School of Art, where she was a sort of star student, really, um, uh, she had her uh, post-diploma years uh, working abroad and, and back in, in Glasgow. And she came to the attention of, of um, a lot of uh, people in, in the Scottish art world quite early on in, in her life, including Bill Macaulay, who was the senior partner at the Scottish Gallery. So she started exhibiting uh, in the early 1950s. And, um, and this was perhaps her most important uh, commercial relationship, but also a nurturing relationship um, that obviously gave her some stability uh, and some commercial success, not unimportant. She was never driven by commercial considerations, but the success she enjoyed was partly due to the, um, the strong relationship she had with the gallery. So right up until she had her first major festival exhibition in 1959, um, and um, now obviously she died so sadly uh, in 19, August 1963, and you can ask the question, what might have happened uh, if, if she if she carried on? And certainly from a com commercial point of view, I think her, her career, if you can use that expression, would have would have taken wind. She'd already had quite a lot of success, but it was it was heading in in, a, in an extraordinary direction. So that relationship between the gallery in her lifetime, particularly with the senior partner Bill Macaulay, whose children she painted her only commissioned uh, portrait. Uh, after she died, the gallery continued uh, to work with with uh, her sister. And subsequently, her, her niece um, to continue to work on her relationship post post mortem and make sure that that her star stayed in the ascendant. So, this is probably quite a big question, but what do you think makes Joan Eardley's work so special? Um, it is a difficult question and an easy one because all you have to do is stand in front of of one of her, her major paintings, and they're utterly arresting. Now, whether it's Catiline, which is her second great subject, she had her cottage in the mid-50s right up until she, she died, or Glasgow, where she kept her studio in, in Townhead. Um, these, these paintings are, are made with, uh, with great energy and conviction and honesty that communi communicates itself, I think, very directly. So people, I think, have a, have a personal relationship with Erdley. Um, it's a kind of one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. You're not just tapping into something. It's something that you feel, I think, really in the pit of your stomach. Um, th these are 
these are, I think, great paintings, beautifully made, as I say, made with a kind of truth and honesty, which uh, it's hard to find anywhere else in Scottish painting. And, uh, you know, you mentioned her career was broken up into particularly, um, to simplify it, her time in Townhead and then her time in Catterline. So um, what are the, because they're quite different in terms of one is very much urban, kind of often looking at childhood and then, you know, later it's landscape. Um, it's interesting that it's the same painter doing these things because they do look, seem like yes. two very distinctive periods. Yes, I think that that's um, that, that's a very good observation. But it's, it's worth, in a sense, considering the chronology of all this because she was doing the two at the same time. She travelled backwards and forwards. It wasn't as if one came to an end and then a new subject began for her. Um, and um, and if, you, if you enter a room, as people will be able to in August when they visit our exhibition, full of her paintings, in a sense, some of the continuities, some of the kind of um, the things that make the pictures uh, speak to each other come forward as much as the differences. But you're right, these are two very different subjects, apparently. But she treated them both with the same uh, passion and there's a kind of dignity about both subjects in, in her hands, which I think brings them together. But certainly, Glasgow is her subject yeah. uh, when she had her yeah. studio. Uh, she, she did some early work in Clyde Bank. And then when she, she moved and had her two studios in, in Townhead, obviously, before it was all demolished, the kind of street, the kind of Glasgow and its children um, became uh, a, a wonderful subject for her. And... They, they actually, the kids inhabited the studios. They would come in and be bribed with a bag of sweets to sit there for 10 minutes before there'd be a noise in the street, they'd all disappear back back out again. And you can see some of those wonderful photographs taken by Oscar Marzaroli and, uh, and Joan herself uh, and, and Audrey Walker of the kind of studio interior and the kids outside. And they're, they're compelling uh, as a piece of social history. And the social history in the paintings also, perhaps in the earlier Glasgow paintings, there's that observation, um, and partly it is the dereliction that, 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 that you see, but it's also the life in the streets and in the kids that, is, that it gives it kind of that vitality. The community is still there. And later on, um, the subject became more abstract. She often had um, a background of, of, a, of a wall that had been graffitied, chalked on, and maybe one child in the foreground, and the child almost merging into the background. This became sort of a summation, I think, of, of her feelings about about that subject. And in Catiline, um, yes, she went there first recuperating from mumps. She'd had a, a, an exhibition at the Gaumont Cinema in Aberdeen in 1953, something like that, and then came to her friends had come down and, and stay in Catiline, and, and she obviously loved the place, and she very quickly she, she, um, she, she got a studio and, and came to work there, and by the end of her life, it really was her home. But there also, there's a variety of subjects, right down at sea level, the drying salmon nets, um, the rows of cottages, the fields behind the cliff tops in the summer with all the flowers growing where she'd, you know, she'd press seed heads into the, into the impasto of her oil paintings, making drawing after drawing after a thousand, about 1,500 drawings uh, made all directly. Uh, this, this will to work was there in an extraordinary way. And then obviously the kind of the, the storminess of the place. I mean, it's like, if anyone's been to Catalan, it's a tight, you know, kind of iron bound little place or a little, little harbour and, and the pier and the view out over the kind of bleak sea, the North Sea, imagine that little herring fleet coming in 
that so some of these stones come in and she's literally with her canvas or a big board lashed to an easel down at the sea with the ocean, the kind of spray going over her head. You feel the kind of physicality of these wave works. Uh, and you just, you'd love to have been there with her, you know, having, having that experience. But that experience is there in the work, in the consideration of the work. They're so, you know, including the kind of splashes of, of probably spume and foam and water coming onto the, onto the canvases. You know, and sometimes she'd, she'd, she'd borrow a bit of blue from the boat builder to, to get a particular color that, that, that she wanted and so on. It was, she was, again, as she was in Glasgow, she was totally engaged, engaged in, in the community as well as passionate about the place. Because I think in, in both, um, you get the feeling that she's not observing, but that she's part of it, that she's involved in it, she's right at the centre of it, if you like. Yes, I mean, there's a word from academia for anthropologists called participant observation, but that's much too dry a term to, to, to describe how early it was with her subject. She was part of it. Absolutely, she was part of it. And, you know, those Samson kids, was it 10 or 11 kids from one family that she knew well, a lot of whom posed for her, and some of those famous paintings are of you know, Anne Samson and, and, and Andrew and, and so on. You know, they, they loved her, those kids. Um, you do get the funny stories about, you know, that I'm giving them drawings and then these plates being used as a spill to get the stove lit, you know, that, that, that evening. It's going to break your heart in a way. But it was, you know, she took whatever she needed um, it, 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 as a painter, uh, and um, but it, it, through that process, you know, she, she, there was a sort of little love involved. I think you, you could sort of say that about about the kids in the place, and that's how she spoke about it too. Um, a, a friend of mine uh, was making a short Radio Four documentary on a guy who owns a chip shop in Glasgow, who's also an opera singer. But the guy who was working behind there. I think maybe because we were recording for the radio, said, oh, do you know Joan Eardley? And we went, yes, we do. He says, I'm one of the kids. Now, oh, one of the red-haired kids. And he, his face just lit up, remembering those times in childhood. It was something, it was, it, it, it was unexpected, but it was incredible. Yes. Well, they're, they're, a, they're a numerous family, and uh, I think there's some in Australia, and one or two have come back when there have been major exhibitions in, in the past 20 years, and... Uh, and given interviews and so on, which is wonderful that they do feel that connection. And it wasn't as if you know they all ended up ended up getting you know becoming heroin addicts and going to, going going to Berlin. They didn't. They were a kind of a, a family that obviously reasonably well looked after, and a lot of them made their way in life, which is which is great. You, you mentioned um, that she went up and found a studio in Catalina, and I know. Catalina is still an artist. Uh, you know, a place that artists are in residence. Did she begin that? Was she the first person to go up and do that? Yes. Wow. I think you can say that, that, that Catalina owes its, its sort of the community of artists that go there to, to Early's, Early's memory and, and, and presence. And uh, the studio called The Watchy, I think, is now, you, you can take that and it's sort of available kind of for residences. And lots of people effectively go on pilgrimage mm -hmm. and then find subjects themselves. Yeah. Um, I think you, you can also say, I suppose, that, um, that some artists will be in the thrall of Joan Eardley. And when, when she was alive, you know, people gravitated to her personally uh, and, um, uh, and stayed there and worked with her and latterly obviously looked, looked after her uh, when she became ill. But then there's, you know, there's an artist, another important artist for us, James Morrison, uh, yes. who, who died last year, you know, one of Scotland's greatest landscape painters. He was in Catalina. 
from about 1959. And his, his, his kids were born there and, and they knew Joan very well. And, uh, and you know, he, he talks about the community there and her presence. You know, she put a shilling in the pram of, of, of John Morrison, who's now a professor of art history, and he was a baby, being Dorothy wheeling him up and down the, uh, the, the row in, in, in Catiline. And people like Angus Neal, who was a great friend of Joan's from art school, was a troubled man, but she kind of looked after him and he looked after her to some extent. He was there, and some of the younger painters, um, Annette Stephen and uh, Lil Nelson, who again were, were great friends and supporters of, of, of Jones, they, they kind of um, made Catalan what it was then, yeah. And you, you, it seems to me that she was well known and well respected in the art world, but over the recent years, I would say maybe decades, she's come to be one of those Scottish painters that people who maybe don't spend a lot of their time invested in the art world, but know and love. You know, one of those painters, I think, that her reputation has grown um, over the years. Is that something you would agree with? It is entirely, yes. Um, uh, she... Sorry, my son's just coming to collect his maths notes. <laughs> These things happen on Zoom, don't they? We can, we can edit um, that. That's all right. <laughs> if you like. No, um, uh, I think you can say that uh, that she was surprisingly, perhaps not surprising, that's not the right word, but she was successful in her lifetime, partly to do with her relationship with the Scottish Gallery, and then a London dealer called Roland Browse and Del Banco picked her up and she had shows there. They were apparently going to take her an exhibition, exhibition to New York. Um, she was a member of the Royal Scottish Academy, I think, uh, an associate member by the time she died. And she kind of survived the rough and tumble and criticism that she may, maybe would have had in, in, in Glasgow, in the, the Arts Club and the School of Art. Um, she kind of moved through all that, I think, graciously uh, because of her kind of dedication to her craft and her extraordinary ability. After she died, you'd have to say there was perhaps a dip, and for a number of, maybe a couple of decades, she was kind of a well-kept secret in Scotland. I think that kind of bound her to the Scots at the same time, that, you know, we've got Joan Erdley, and uh, you don't know about her? Well, you should, sort of. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then over the last, perhaps, 20 years or so with... Um, there's a lot of her work in public collections. You can see it on the kind of um, um, your, your paintings um, website. And the National Galleries of Scotland, they have, have had a tremendous uh, relationship with uh, the great supporters of earlier over the last 20 years with exhibitions. It's from 2007, uh, senior curator Patrick Elliott has written a book about her and Catiline, which I think is coming out. This summer there'll be a little display at the Scottish National Gallery and whatnot. So all these things have come together. You know, there's, there's work in the Tate Gallery. All these things have come together and begun to cement, consolidate and broaden her kind of wider reputation. So you can say that she is uh, a figure of, of European significance now. I think you, you can say that, you know, uh, and, and back it up. And would you consider... Um, uh, sorry, I was going to say, would you consider her a groundbreaker in terms of uh, women in Scottish art as well? Because I guess most of her contemporaries would have been male. Yes, yes, you, you can say that. I think Scotland has been well served by women artists. There are some wonderful women painters. But perhaps for a long time, that was despite the kind of Scottish art establishment and the, and the kind of wider cultural background rather than because of any particular support. So, so they, they became sort of survivors. And um, you know, figures like Anne Redpath, obviously, Joan Erdley, and many, many examples. 
more recently. But they were, they were sort of, uh, the, 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 those two artists were the sort of pioneers, if you like, within the academies, within, an, uh, uh, within the wider Scottish art world. And, and they made it easier. They blazed a trail yeah. for the kind of generations of wonderful women artists who have come since then. And in the exhibition itself, you're showing a, a, a selection of right across the board or work across our life, yes? We are. I mean, it is clearly retrospective in nature. Um, you know, she had a short life. She died age 42. So, uh, uh, so it's all in a sense concentrated into a kind of 20 year, 20 year period. But it's, it's an exhibition for sale. We, we've restricted it really to work that we have for sale. And, uh, and we're fortunate because we had such a long and successful commercial relationship with Joan. So many of the pictures that, that we've sold, they sometimes come back. We, we've maybe had a picture three or four times. There were three or four different back labels on it coming back, uh, back with us. So, but we're extremely pleased with what we've gathered together. There's no, no apology for, for what we're sharing in August. We've got some extremely important pictures and, and lots of wonderful examples right across her, her subject area and studies in, in Europe. Uh, the early Glasgow, the late Glasgow, and obviously the, the Catalan in particular. I, I was thinking about this before we spoke, and last year um, was Edwin Morgan's uh, centenary as well, and I was thinking that, you know, if you want a kind of picture of Glasgow in, in particular in the kind of mid to late, uh, well, mid-20th century, then, you know, there are certain artists, you mentioned Oscar Mazzaroli as well, who really do capture it. And I think Joan Eardley has become one of those if she wasn't already. Yes, yes. I think that's that's absolutely right. It's it, She's, there's an interesting kind of melding uh, uh, b between the individual and the broader culture. So you can't now separate them. I think yeah. when people think of, of, uh, of Glasgow in the kind of 50s and 60s, Yes, you'd think of some of Morgan's poetry. And of course, he wrote, wrote a poem for her. Mm -hmm. um, and some of the writing, you know, um, a, a, as well. Maybe a little bit later, James Kelman and, uh, and, uh, and so on. But Erdley's imagery is so almost central to that. You know? And it's, she's a, some people have said, well, it's sentimental. And there's a sentimental aspect to it, but it's never maudlin. And it's, no. it's, uh, it's heartfelt. And as I said at the beginning of the interview there's that truth to it i think that speaks down the ages and uh, and yes it's now been been absolutely absorbed as part of our cultural identity and you can certainly say that yeah absolutely and do you think if we're talking about joan eardley's legacy in terms of scottish painting um i guess that would be part of it but what would you expand on in terms of how we view her now well i, I think um i think scottish art in the kind of modern era the last 120 years or so it's got some schools, it's got some aspects where you can say there's a kind of continuity, um, it, aspects of, of painting, to, the French called belle peinture, and so on is represented with the Scottish colourists and picked up by generations of, of, of artists since then. But it also contains a number of, of individual painters who don't fit in a box, yeah. who aren't easy to categorise. And Joan Eardley is certainly one of those, and perhaps she's the most significant, you think of other people like um, James Curry, John Byrne, you, you can't say the, the, these guys are, are, are part of a school. They're not. And Joan Eardley is not part of a school. She is an extraordinary individual artist with that element of genius and that way that she had and has still through her work of 
speaking directly to the individual, which I think uh, is, is, is incredibly important and, and we can be extremely proud. I wonder if that's why she has become so popular, is that if you see um, a Joan Eardley, you kind of know it's a Joan Eardley if you've seen her work before immediately. It's, it's absolutely her work and I don't think... Yeah, I know it's not part of a school in the say that the Glasgow boys either you know early or later Glasgow boys were. Yeah, I think I think I think that's right, and um, and it is going back to that the sheer presence of the individual work of art. And if you walk into a space where there's an early and you don't know it, you will be drawn to it. And if you do know it, you will have that wonderful wave of familiarity and and warmth that you get from sort of a close consideration of, of these extraordinary works of art. And when she was up in Catalina and, as you say, became ill, she continued to paint, didn't she? I mean, she was painting right up to the end. Yes. I mean, she spent the last couple of weeks of her life in, in, in a hospice. But before that, you know, her friends were looking after her and, uh, for example, bringing just bunches of field flowers to her cottage. So they would be, you know, stop, put in a vase and, and she would paint almost from her side. You know, she, she, was, she was able to work right up until, until the very end. And those have now become extremely poignant images, of course. Um, but they're not memento mori. They're, they're still uh, heartfelt, optimistic uh, paintings. Um, there's no sense of a kind of physical decline in, in her work, uh, right up, as I say, until these last things she did in the, in the summer of uh, 1963. Um, I suppose... Before uh, uh, we finish, we should get details off the exhibition. It's at the Scottish Gallery from 30th of July to the 28th of August. I think that's that's right. right. I mean, quite what what sort of a festival we're going to have this year, no one's, no one's clear. Lots will be going on. And, of course, the visual arts are able to, uh, uh, to continue. Uh, they've never been really a central part of, of, the, of the International Festival in any case. So there'll be a wonderful visual arts presentations. So we think of it, we think of it very much as our festival exhibition this year. And we hope we'll get, uh, we'll get terrific, terrific crowds. And, uh, and it'll be a kind of a, a symbol of optimism and, and regeneration you know, after these difficult couple of years that everybody's had. And hopefully the experience of coming and seeing Joan Eardley in August in Edinburgh will be will be part of that a sense of new sense of optimism. And it will be the case that people can just come along and pop in. There's no you know booking of absolutely not. Yeah. The only thing we can't do these days is have a private view. Yeah. Um, you can't just invite a, an indeterminate number of people to come and drink wine. So so that's gone. But uh, no we're open, you can walk up and as long as we're not styled out, people yeah. can come in and, and see the exhibitions as they would wish. And there are some events on as well, is that right, to kind of go alongside? Yes, that? yes. I mean, that's, that's something that we've adopted uh, in, in over the last couple of years, is having you know, talks and, and tours, and we'll do plenty of that in the month of August. And there'll be a demand, and a continuing demand, for that, for that kind of digital presentation to, to, to carry on. And, and we're certainly, uh, we'll certainly be doing plenty of that. And there's some... People like Patrick Elliott, Scottish National Gallery of Modern Art, and, and others who have you know, a lot of original things to say about Joan and res new research has been done. And we'll hope to have these voices available uh, during the month of August. I think it's such a great thing to do because I think in the past you may have gone to an exhibition 
and you walk around and you want to know more. You know, you think, well, my knowledge of this person is only slight, if anything at all, and I really want to know more. And that's what you seem to be offering, an insight. Well, I think, I think yes, the most important that we can do is, is hang, hang wonderful, yeah. thought-provoking, original works of art well-lit on a wall and peaceful people could stand in front of them. But providing that context... And in a sense, telling the story, that's the modern cliche, isn't it? But it's true. I think the more you know about something, the more you will get out of it. And her story is a tremendous one, which I think a lot of people will know. And, and if people don't, they'll hear it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Guy, thank you so much for taking time to have a chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Not at all. Great pleasure for me too. Thanks, um, Alistair. No problem. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>